Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Cultural headquarters of the future capital of the free thinking states of America known as Los Angeles. This is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, facing the vexing question of where are all the female podcast listeners? The nasty tangle of practicing and preaching. Climbing back into your dream to save dad? Rational fears of boxing matches? Carving out 100-second survival moments to save lives? A barking bullelli? Grizzly bear attacks? And getting around to the to-do list of finally saving the world? And now, asking that you and your friends and neighbors band together to replace every member of the House of Representatives, I am a Rich Evers. And my partner in crime... Teacher, fighter, author, poet, and all-around swell guy with a fantastic accent, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. Holy smokes, everybody. Episode 36. Welcome back to the Drunken Taoist Podcast. And now, without further ado, let me introduce you to the reason y'all are here, Mr. Daniele Bolelli. We have new t-shirts. No, we don't. But we are taking pre-orders, which means we left them in our hands within about a month. And uh, we'll ship immediately after that. So within two months, stop. You guys should have them if you pre-order. Just in time for summer. Imagine how good you're going to look with that fine, sure design, delicious, super comfy, Thailand-only, super cotton, mega fiber, nipple happily making... Micro ninjas too. Maybe we get some micro ninjas. Yes, that would be nice. And um, yeah, Bennett is a fan of ninjas, as I was seeing on Facebook today. In any case, yeah, we got it. It's two colors. Um, I'll put a link on the episode notes. If you guys are interested, you can check it out. You can let me know what color, what size. Uh, the info for doing PayPal for pre-orders will be there. And then as soon as it gets back, I'll start shipping out. Now, this is a hell of a t-shirt. Took literally months to do because we are just having too much fun with it. The cast involved in this is insane. There should be like 15 different t-shirts made out of this. And we may actually do that. At some point, I want to take three isolated scenes from this crazy collective scene that's going on. It's this Dionysian party and develop them in... Uh, we'll just do special order we won't keep those in stock and we'll do those but in the meantime right now you got the whole Dionysian party among the people that you may be able to stop there will be yours truly the powerful is Duncan Trussell and his friend Tiger Friedrich Nietzsche E.Q. Sojun Tom Robbins Shiva Ganesh Rich Savannah M., the gods Dionysus and Pan and a whole lot of debauchery taking place there it's beautiful I freaking love this shirt and uh, yeah i can't be happier with it i mean i i had it in my head for the longest time and by the way this is yeah is all the products of my perverted imagination so that tells you what's going on inside my brain a lot of the time well it's so familiar to you know the drunken dallas parties that we have it looks almost identical i was like wow same thing yeah we are always chopping off buddha's head of nietzsche over and the right tigers well he likes to surf he's ballsy enough to go in that water without a wetsuit now that talk about crazy he must not believe in anything 
thing. By the way, if you really look closely at the Nietzsche's figure, you'll notice that he's wearing the original Drunken Taoist t-shirt in Absolutely. our own. So we have quotes within our t-shirt. Now, I do hear, I hear, I do hear rumblings that... Um, Perhaps maybe the orgasm counting gnome may have been yeah, left we out left of this him shirt. Out. We fucked up. So I don't think that's well, a fuck up. I think it's probably just crying out for his own shirt. Yeah, is that what's going on? The drunken Taoist, come ring my bell. Or you know, <laughs> or you know what? He's uh, he's. He's, t- he's a gnome. He's tiny. He probably is in there. You're just not seeing him. Exactly. He's hiding your very bad well. eyes. So, your glaucoma-ridden eyes. But can't if, but if you listen. It. Oh, yes, there is a couple of things. Oh, yeah, I (laughs) forgot to mention, after we did the first shirt, people were saying now, oh, you know, I really love it, but it's a little too racy for me. I can't wear it at work, my kids, this and that. That's what my son said. I can't wear this high school. It's got boobs on it. So we thought of you, and we went... 10 miles further into... Now you definitely can't wear this way anywhere. Cool. Or there are more... There's more nakedness and sex and <laughs> Buddha said getting chopped off in a kill the Buddha thing. Well, that's what Buddha asked for. Yeah, that was actually funny. Somebody on Twitter, some Buddhist lady got all pissed off about it. And I'm like, my reply fetch was like, I'm taking it you're not familiar with the works of Zen master Lin Chi, who said, because, uh, you know, it is actually a Zen Buddhist story, the whole kill the Buddha thing. But I guess it's too much of an inside joke for some people to get it, especially if they have You no must humor. work for the Taliban. Yeah. What, do you blow up statues on your days off? That's what you're doing. Of Say you're trying to fix the world? Damn. That's what we're trying to do. So in any case, yes, sure design. They are awesome on their own. They make amazing work and check out their website, but our new t-shirt, oh my God, I'm excited about this. Speaking of new stuff and other random things, uh, one quick thing, a few episodes ago, we had my mom over discussing the story of James Weddell. She's self-publishing a book on about Jim. It's out. You can find it on Amazon under the title Dakota Warrior, or you can order it directly from her uh, I'll put the link in the episode notes, but basically if you PayPal, I think it's $15 if I don't remember correct, but I'll write it in the episode notes and it's to gmationiayahoo.com, G as in Gloria, M as in Mary, A-double-T-I-O-N-I, and um, which incidentally, Mattioni, Matti means crazy in Italian, so it's like big crazy people, Mattioni or something like that, that's a cool name right there. In any case, gmationiayahoo.com, if you are interested in the booklet Dakota Warrior, that uh, you can check the episode from a few times back to see if that story interests you. Real quick, because we want to move on to other things, but not before thanking our awesome sponsors, Datsu Sara, the greatest hemp gear on the planet. Bags, uh, geese, uh, workout shirts, you name it. There's a lot of great stuff out there. We are all, it's funny, like now I go to school and some of my students have been buying it and we're all there in like, there are like five Datsusara shirts and bags in the class. It's awesome. But in any case, yes, Datsusara. Um, onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T. I've just recently become addicted to their hemp protein powder. I make shakes on a daily basis and I'm freaking liking it. So I need to start sending a message to uh, Aubrey. I need my hemp, man. I want it again. But yeah, check out. There are a lot of great products. I'm still sampling. There's still so much stuff that I haven't even tried yet. You know, clearly some stuff you're going to like more than others, but there's a lot of stuff to like. Um, I'm an alpha brain believer now. I have fun with it for sure. Yeah. Um, 
Duncan, I don't know if we should say this. He actually mentioned it as kind of a light form of speed almost. And Really? It worked I like agree. that for him? I just, for me, it's good when I'm doing all-nighters. Not so much just for the dream thing, but it just seems to give a good kick. Because they recommend it like three, four hours before you go to bed for the dream. Right. Well, if you're going to be up anyway, yeah. that and a little bit of coffee. Nice. And maybe some caveman coffee from our friend Tate Fletcher. That's right. Um, that'll get you going. Nice. I haven't quite experimented enough with Alpha Brain to have an opinion. And I know that's their top thing, so I need to put it on my to-do list. But after some of the other ones, man, the hemp protein was great. Uh, so I'm looking forward to my next experiment. Thank you, Aubrey. On it, on it, on it. O-N-N-I-T.com. Yes. All of the thing that's a Sarah on it, sure design. There are discount codes in the episode notes. So if you're going to order, might as well get a discount and letting them know that you heard from us. Um, we are going to then say, please, for, well, why don't we just get the ball rolling and we just throw a few more things, donation and everything at the very end. See you in a minute. All right, everybody, episode 36, believe it or not, here we are, it's rant time. You know, I'm going to throw you a little curveball because two, two of the like kind of most widely divergent people I could possibly think of in my Facebook world dropped the same thing on the same day, and that is one Savannah M. Mm-hmm. and my, my, my very uh, country wife's uncle, Rooster, both posted the same thing on the same day, and that was, what went wrong and uh, Indian Chief Two Eagles was asked by white U.S. government officials. He was in his 90s. He was getting old, and time was running short. So they wanted to know, you know, you've been around white people all this time. Yeah. What did you learn from white man? And he said the following. When white men find land, Indians running it. No taxes, no debt, plenty buffalo, plenty beaver, I bet, clean water, women did all the work, medicine man free, Indian man spend all day hunting and fishing, all night having sex. He kisses back a little smile and says, only white man dumb enough to think he could approve upon system like that. But Lally, this has haunted me for about four weeks now. But I think you just answered the question that I was about to bring regarding uh, where I was going to go with the first part of the rant. You are in perfect sync and I think you answered it with that. Because my question, as we will see, we'll relate to this very shortly, was why, why, why are the overwhelming majority of our listeners male? Thank you. Now, that's a general podcasting thing. Most podcasts tend to have much more men than women listeners. Uh, Women tend to watch TV a lot more. Men tend to listen to podcasts a lot more. But still, we are lovable. We are sweet. We have a yin yang approach. We well, do like the fair sex. Hell, I even have an accent. Come on. Yeah. So I was about to start the Get Women for Bolelli campaign, which Ooh. it sounds a little shadier than I mean it. I just say, please get us some <laughs> listeners that we appreciate uh, female listenership. But I'm afraid you may have just answered the question. That is why we have male uh, listeners. This is what we quote. And yes, I can see why we would attract more of a male audience. 
Well, I was just more sad that, you know, I, 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 I guess I didn't even include the misogyny of the whole thing, but god damn, man, they had it by the balls. No, no, I agree completely, but yes, and I was... I'm, I'm, and, and being, you know, being, being a person from the future and all, we could probably work out a more of a shared workload, even. Yeah, not most definitely. Yeah, the, if you remove the more chauvinist aspect from the thing, it's perfect. I'm just reading it the way it was. It's, I no, wasn't no, I there agree. ordering people around, and, yeah. you know. And I, I mean, let's be serious. You know, if if stands with angry fist wants her husband to get some shit done, I'm certain that he did. Of course, of course. You know, they might have thought that. Oh, look at us! We're all doing the hunting and fishing. Yeah, well, you got to carry that dirty fucking buffalo for 14 right. miles, too. They probably were fine with that. No, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll cook it. Yeah, yeah. You of just, course. You just go lay down. And even that is, there changes tremendously tribe to tribe since sure. it's, um, you know, some tribes are hunters and gatherers. So you have one type of division of labor, other were farmers, completely different tribes, division of labor. So, but yeah, for comedic purposes and even some insight that's there are some good points in there we blew it yeah agreed anyway speaking this of this one's for the ladies <clears throat> but yeah do you have a theory for why is the listenership so much more even like when i look at my twitter i get like joe whatever robert matt something and then you get one uh, christina it's like and then another 15 guys and i'm like What's going on with this? I think, you know, the, the way the podcast sort of launched out, Corolla and the Rogan, they uh-huh. were sort of the pod fathers, I like to call them. Yeah. So that was definitely very male-leaning in the very beginning. But I think, much like magazines, podcasts are so narrow-cast to such narrow mm-hmm. demographics of something. If There's probably something the ladies will like to listen to a lot more than what we're offering. Why? Because girls like more girlier things. No, fuck that. They need to like us. Well, I, shit. If it was just that easy, you'd run some salve on it and they liked yeah. you. I would have bottled that shit a long time ago, man. And that would have been that. Yeah, I see the point. But, you know, do a noble action, sweet people out there. Bring your girl and let her listen. Yeah, and let us, if she ends up hating us, please let us know why. Because we would try to make ourselves, you know, we'll even shower and wear deodorant and stuff, and we'll try to make ourselves more appealing to the gentler sex because we like them, honestly, better than we do sweaty guys. So as much as we appreciate your listening, which we really do, we also would love some female listenership would greatly please us. So you guys are on a mission get as women uh, i meant yeah uh, please uh, extend the courtesy of invite your lady friend to join you in your in your in your interest in the podcasting world yes that would be sweet now you watch uh, the second hobbit 2 whatever it was called desolation i haven't of seen small Smog. yet you haven't seen it no ah okay i've okay. read the book though well okay so let me you don't need to have seen it to run away. I was just going to make a Hobbit reference, which I can still make because you read the book and whatever. But yeah, yeah. it really hit me again. It's not a new thing, but it hit me again watching um, the second Hobbit. There's the Hell King, um, Thanduriel, or however Tolkien meant to pronounce it. Agent Smith? That's, yeah, Agent Smith, exactly. Who is a It's a perfect role, that one. It's one that really hit me because you have this guy who's the ruler of this forest and his sole concern is keeping all the evil of the world out of this forest 
And it's becoming obvious that this florist that was supposed to be this happy oasis is becoming a prison, you know, it's becoming these trenches everywhere kind of thing and you're just keeping the evil out, but it's completely this. And his thing is, you know, it's not my responsibility to take care of the whole freaking world as long as they are not conquering my home, all is fine. And, you know, it's he's operating under the illusion that he can keep his own little space safe and uh, the thing that hit me on that is that in some way I felt for myself and for the overwhelming majority of people I know, I felt like we are cast into that role because the reality is that even some of the most idealistic people I know, even there's that sense of powerlessness that sometimes kicks in of like, what can you do when you're looking at the forces around you, the level of how loud greed, money, how loud so many forces that are driving the train towards destruction, human destruction, destruction of everything that in our path, environment, you name it. All the nasty forces that exist in the world, how much power there is there. And so you feel that your little, hey, can we all just get along kind of thing is not going to go very far or any how do you fight that you know it becomes very difficult to have that sense feeling empowered when dealing with such huge forces well the wendangos have done a great job of making everybody scared Mm -hmm. and instead of the i hate to say the olden days but back when there was more of a spirit of community where you know i'll help you build your barn this spring and then in the fall after the crops come in we'll come build your barn and taking care of each other has all been erased and we all hide inside our little tiny enclaves with our glowing magic lie machines spewing bullshit our way letting us know full well you'll never be able to afford any of this you don't really deserve it anyway and just be lucky the serial killer hasn't come to your house yet there's that and even if you take it one notch up, which is where you do have your friends and family that you take care of each other and you have a happier community and you have, you know, something good going around you, still you are like this little tiny oasis in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And so it's as good as that feels, that's not really solving the situation in some way. Now, clearly this idea of solving the situation, talk about thinking a bit idealistically, is like, how do I go about fixing the world, make sure everybody's happy? It's like, yeah, that's a little on the ambitious end. At the same time, it's, to me, it's key. Like, there's an element, there's a part of me that feels like until I have um, made sure that everyone on Earth is perfectly happy, until I've made sure that... uh, the environment is great, kids will be able to enjoy life on earth for generations and generations to come, until I have defeated death, until I've done all those things, I'm a total failure. Now, I don't really, you know, I like myself, I pat myself on the back, I'm happy with the things I do, I do realize the value of some of the things that occasionally I can put forward, and so I'm not starting from a whip myself, I'm a horrible human standpoint, that's not the thing. But there is quite the to-do list sitting out there. Yeah, there's another side of me, though, that say, yeah, well, that's sweet, that's nice, but that's really small, and compared to what I actually want to get done we are talking about redesigning the cosmos, and granted, I may have those 
there's an odd chance that I may have a tiny, tiny, tiny megalomaniac streak in me that gives me this god complex of I need to fix it all. But at the same time, why not? You know, there's... um, You ever read that book, uh, Black Elk Speaks? No. Black Elk Speaks was a book, I believe it was written in 1932, if I remember correctly. Didn't hit huge fame until 20 or 30 years later when suddenly became a bestseller as it was rediscovered. Is this memory of this old um, Lakota guy by the name of Black Elk who he's an old guy by then and he's visited by this poet John Neidart and uh, Black Elk is basically telling him, look I want you to tell Neidart is there because he wants to gather material for this epic poem he was and Black Elk is saying well I'm glad that's what you think why you're here for but that's not it so let me tell you what you're here for <laughs> I need you to, help Get your pen to out, son. tell a story that I have to say because and the whole thing about Black Elk Speaks is that Black Elk, when he was a kid, he was born at like 1860 or something. So when Lakotas were still free, they were still independent. He fought at the Battle of Little Bighorn when he was 13 years old or 14 years old, something like that. Wow. He saw all of that period. He saw Road with Crazy Horse, saw the period of being defeated, going into the reservations was present at the Wounded Knee Massacre, was, you know, oh, he saw the end of Lakota life, basically, as they knew it, and the transformation in the new one. Now, when he was a very young kid, he was about 10 years old or so, maybe even younger, he got incredibly sick, and the story he tells is that during this state of sickness, he was taken by spirits for sort of this tour around the world, they gave him this super powerful vision, they told him, what he had to, to dedicate his life to, and basically invested him with an immense responsibility, which was to help his people flourish again, to help in some ways to have this bodhisattva thing of the, you know, in um, in Buddhism, the idea of the bodhisattva is somebody who has become enlightened, who after reaching enlightenment, when they die, rather than merging, becoming one with the universe and not being forced to reincarnate anymore, they willingly choose to reincarnate. They come back on Earth. Why? Because their thing is, I'm not going to get lost into this bliss of universal consciousness until the last blade of grass on Earth is enlightened. I'm going to be here guiding everyone along, pushing them through that doorway, and I'm not going to go through it myself until I've helped everyone else along. So the Bodhisattva is sort of the ultimate altruistic image of the guide willingly is like fighting for everybody right now the black hole thing almost as a streak of that because there's this element of it becomes his responsibility to turn things around in such a way that he's specifically for his people but you also got a feeling there that it may be more than just for his people to basically bring into being a way of life in which humans can be happy not a small undertaking the guy spent a good ch- he becomes a medicine man, he will have regular visions throughout his life, he'll perform some healing, he'll do this and that, but he always feel like something is, he, he could never fully bring forth the power of his vision, gave it life the way it was supposed to. So there's this very heartbreaking thing at the end of Black Elk Speaks, where after he, he finished his stories when he's like in 1890, in this very dark way, you know, he talks about this sacred hope that it was what he was in charge of, that's completely got destroyed, I wouldn't need, the whole thing goes down the drain. And then there's this last moment, this um, 
epilogue to the book where he goes he's now this old man of 80 years old or something he goes off into the black hills goes up to harney peak which is the highest place in the black hills where in his vision is where he was taken when he was a kid and while he's there he prays basically to say look i couldn't do it i wasn't able to do you know you gave me this powerful vision and i blew it i wasn't able to bring it to life i've seen uh, he speaks of sort of this tree that this tree of life that he was supposed to help flower that and i've seen it die basically but what if it's not dead if there still are tiny roots out there nourish them give them water do something so that even if i couldn't pull it off at least something gets cultivated there and the story goes that as he's praying saying look give me a sign if uh give me a sign that there's still some life out there that is not all over because i blew it and all of that and neither is saying you know it looks like this sad old man you know who's just desperate over the whole thing and they say that at that moment when he asked for a sign he basically asked for the thunder beings which are the spirits that gave him part of the power to show themselves and thunder beings are associated with rain suddenly you know this rainstorm comes and drenches him in rain and last 10 minutes it's done and very quickly as he's praying and then it's over again and so kind of giving him this glimmer of hope in this otherwise horrendously sad scenario right to me that's not just black elk in 1932 to me that's how i feel day in and day out a lot of the time i have this sense of I wrote a thing, actually, sorry, I didn't translate it. I wrote it back when I was writing in Italian, so I only have a title for it, which is called The Bodhisattva wakes up in the middle of the night with pearls of sweat running down his spine, which is basically the Black Elk thing, right? It's this whole story about... This is just... It was like a page or two or something of meditation on this theme, but basically this sense of overwhelming powerlessness that can hit you when you think about what you really want you know it's easy to get distracted we oh i have color tv hey the new season of game of thrones is out cool I'll, you know and that's great i have nothing against it but at the same time there's that sense that there's a real challenge out there there's a battle to be fought and that you are deciding to turn your eyes another way because it's too damn scary well i know we're three and a half four weeks ahead but between venezuela and Ukraine and Occupy movements getting ready to step up again. I mean, and I mean, all of these you can is, feel it in the air, right? There's the fact is we we're not a very as a, the civilization that we've built, which in some ways is great. There are you know there's less racism than there was in the past. There's more less uh, people who starve in the middle of the street less the neighbors from the next valley who can come over chop off your head and drag your people into slavery a little less there still happens a lot of that stuff but a little less proportionally speaking but at the same time we're on a completely non-sustainable course you know we're just fucking up our resources there's only so much that we can keep doing it before the whole thing blows in our face and in many ways already beginning to blow in our face so there's that element but even if you let's assume that tomorrow you can fix all the environmental problems in the world which would be huge right it doesn't get any bigger than that and at the same time is yeah that's that was half of the job good job now you have made sure that you can keep it going that you're not driving yourself into extinction lemon style but now let's also worry about the quality of it all 
and the level of happiness and what you can do to raise the level of happiness among most human beings to make sure that all the conditions that threaten the happiness of human beings to try to give people the tools to deal with them in a better fashion to you know you can go on forever right so the real the battles out there are huge there's and the feeling of what can i do about it ah screw it i'll just watch game of thrones is one that i deeply sympathize with because i get it i feel that way a lot and a lot of the time it doesn't matter how great of a job i'm doing it's whatever i'm doing i always feel like yeah that's sweet daniela that's nice but come on really you know is uh compared to what i want to do yeah that's nice but so again it's a weird feeling because i don't beat myself up saying oh you are you are fucking up you are no i'm you should be out protesting it freeway right now he's not even that he's like i don't even give a fuck about the it's about what steps do i need to take to ensure that a um we can be on a sustainable course and be the quality of that sustainability is one that i want to live in well, the cruelest twist to that whole question is that they are going to eventually find out the only thing that really makes humans happy is destroying the planet. <laughs> oh, now I, we got a problem. But that's the thing. It's you have seen. I've seen what it, the happiness that you can get from certain things that are healthy, that are good, that where people feed off each other in a good way, not in a cannibalistic kind of way. The um, you know. So I've had the glimpses of what it can be like. And so I feel that it's my responsibility, and again, not just me, Daniela Bolelli, mine as well as a million other people, but to try to bring that kind of, to feed that type of life, to feed that element. And again, it's scary as hell because the moment you decide to address it is the moment that you have to take responsibility for the results and you can't play Thunderiel or whatever his name is in the Elf King in the second Hobbit where you just say well screw it I'm in my forest I'm keeping the forces of evil out I watch game I don't know if they watch Game of Thrones inside Lord of the Rings but that would be cool they would if they could yeah so you know there's that but again that's a bit cowardly and ultimately you know it's an illusion because you can't keep it you can't hope that the four walls around you are going to keep it all outside no we gotta do something and you know we if we stand by and 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 are on our watch the last tigers die in the wild right that's all on us yeah 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 there's no surprises to any of this isabella told me that it's our job to save all the tigers the other day i'm not exactly sure where she got that or why or what's up but she informed me first that she's half tiger and then you that already she'll, knew that uh, yeah and then that she's um it's her job to take care of business there so on that note it almost is the um, sorry if i keep going on nerdish reference i've already thrown in uh, lord of the rings uh, game of thrones black elk let's add star wars otherwise we're not quite done excellent that whole feeling of obi-wan kenobi or, or uh, whatever she say in english you're our only hope you're our last hope whatever that is is in some way you almost have to feel that way in order to be spurred into any kind of action. And again, action can be, there's the realistic action. That is the, what can I do right here, right now with the people that I meet in day-to-day life? How do I touch that? How do I touch the environment in which I live? My house, my neighborhood, my something small enough that you feel that you actually can make some kind of a difference. 
your kids, the way you raise them, you know, not something, I'm going to save the world. Well, yeah, how do you do it? Step by step, right? So start small. And at the same time, as you're doing that, also try to figure out on a bigger scale what it is that can be done. To me, that's key. That's why, to me, all kind of art, movies, music, cinema, uh, you know, you name it, writing, in many ways, to me, is to give inspiration, to make you want to stand up and live a grander life and to create a grander life for others. So to me, you don't don't see that message anywhere in celebrity right now, do you? No, but again, it's not like it, some of it is there. You know what I mean? When I watch, to me, when I watch something like the nerdish Lord of the Rings, it's not just this nerdy fantasy thing. To me, that's what it's about. It's about the destiny of the universe. It's about heroism in the face of hopelessness. To me, and that's what I, the details are, you know, there's the dwarf and the dragon. Who cares? That's not the point. The point to me is the stuff that I can derive for life itself in that regard. And, uh, it's as necessary as ever to find ways to be inspired, to make you wanna just go out there and go down swinging in this regard. The whole bodhisattva ideal to me is beautiful. And you know, whether you are, I don't even believe there's like the whole idea of you are enlightened, fucking enlightened, you know, I don't even know what that means in that regard. And I find it paralyzing and stupid to wonder, you know, when I'll get there and I'll be enlightened, what does that even mean? Come on, you know, it's like you right now, if you feel that thing in you, it's in you, do it. Whether you are, it doesn't mean you're the perfect human being. It means you have a level of consciousness that's pouring you in that direction. Good enough. Go take care of business. You develop yourself along the way. The bodhisattva ideal to me is as beautiful as it gets. It's uh, I wrote one chapter in, uh, on the warrior's path was about this. Was about was the last chapter of the edition that I when I published in Italian and it only had eight chapters. Now it has thirteen. And the last one was the warrior as bodhisattva, and it was precisely this idea. It's like well now you learn how to fight. You learn how to be a badass. You learn how to defeat fear. You learn how to, that's all great and all. But that was, those were the prereqs. You know, now that you got the prerequisites out of the way, now let's get to the real deal. And what exce- why have you done all these things? Why is that you have trained like madmen and do this and forge your character, personality, and all of the stuff? What the hell is the point of all of it? So you can beat up somebody in a ring. So you can, come on, man, there's, there's more at stake here. And so, translating the developing sort of those warrior qualities for a purpose and ultimately to me is sort of this bodhisattva purpose that's where in a lot of ways the heart of the book was it for me and it still is that to me is what it's all about so it's funny because as i'm talking i'm beginning to see connections with things that i never even thought when we started this rant and i'm like oh damn that is what i was doing in that chapter oh and the black elk story fits right there oh and but the jigsaw pieces are starting to fall into place it's all about the same thing now now that we know that doesn't mean it's easy it's difficult as hell but at the same time is that's what it's about everything else is fun entertainment it's not it i want it to be it well, we either we either join Team Humanity or you join Team Wendingo, and it's time to decide. Indeed, and uh, yeah, you just scared the hell. Rich just shared with me this picture of uh, Wendingo before we started uh, a drawing that somebody made of this uh, 
on Ojibwa's story of the Windingo, this demonic cannibal with the more he eats, the, more, the hungrier he gets. He's undressed before he put his suit on to go ruin somebody's life on Wall Street later today. Precisely. That's the game. Fuck the Windangos. Yes. Head off. I have a dream today. And now we cross the ethereal plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Well, with the sound of Martin Luther King's voice, it must mean it's dream time, everybody. Dream time, indeed. There's actually two separate dreams, one by Isabella, one by me. The um, Isabella thing just happened yesterday. It was so freaking funny. I wasn't present when it was originally told because she was sleeping at my mom's house. And she woke up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m. She called her. My mom goes up and uh, Isabella is up in bed. And she's like, I had a dream. It was really terrible. Somebody was trying to hurt dad. Okay, I have to get back in the dream and save him. So bye. She closed her eyes, <laughs> f- fell back to sleep. Then she woke up later. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I took care of it. Now everything is fine. Is he uh, Castanara? Yeah. Lucid dreaming at four-year-old. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. But it was hilarious. She was all wrapped up in the telling, and then she's like, she realizes, no, I have to get back and take care of business. So she was like, okay, no, I have to get back into it. So bye. And she closed her eyes and threw herself down. Wow. Do you think she got back into it? Yeah. I mean, she said that she went back and fixed it, and then uh, business was taken care it, of. To somebody that age, it's probably just a no-brainer. This is yeah. how it rolls, you know? Oh, wait. All right. Everything's cool. All right. The zombie monster got to go. I'll be right back. Yeah. I think the kids are in a natural psychedelic state. That's why I want to propose that, you know how you guys use sentences when you partake in strange substances such as high as a kite, high as there. I suggest high as a baby because there's no, I don't think there are too many other creatures out there who are consistently in this strange state of consciousness as little humans. They are out there in some strange, so high as a baby it is. Did I ever tell you my Emily story? She uh, she got her hand smashed in the door, and, and her fingernail popped up from the bottom side, Ooh. so it had to be reattached. Yeah. But she was probably eight or nine. Yeah. So we're in the emergency room. She's all wrapped up. And, we're not, and they said, well, we got to reattach this, but we don't want to put her under because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, dangerous. Yeah. So they gave her ketamine. Hmm. I bet that was an interesting experience. Well, first of all, I was like, doesn't daddy need some ketamine too? Because, you know, they're like, no, sir. Adults have different sort of reactions to this. But they gave her that shit. They are just cutting and slicing and snipping and sewing away on her little hand. And she looks over at me and she said, daddy, we're in the stars. (laughs) I was like, we sure are, baby. Oh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. So, you know, just what you said, I think they, I think they, I think society and life has a way of tearing down all that awesome, yep. you know, was it, was it Dennis Leary who said a, a two-year-old doesn't hate anything but broccoli? <laughs> you that's know? right, yeah. yeah and we yeah. teach them all these terrible traits that... Now, it's also a trip because psychedelic states are also can be terrifying, which is why kids get freaked out by things. They are like, really? That freak you out? Because their sensitivity is, is greater in every direction, in a good way and yeah. in a bad way as well, in a way that's scarier, more terrifying and weirder and all of that. 
but definitely altered compared to adult consciousness that's for sure for sure now dream number two this one did involve me i was um laying on a table receiving acupuncture so i'm there sitting there with needles stuck in my back and i'm just laying there and Ariella eventually all of a sudden i hear barking and so i kind of I don't exactly jump up because, again, I have needles in me, so probably it's a good idea not to jump up, but I get startled, and I'm like, and that's when I suddenly realized where the barking was coming from, and that was me, because I had fallen asleep. I was dreaming that I was a dog growling at somebody, and so before I know it, I'm there, passed out on the acupuncture table, and I hear, and then I wake up, and I'm like, what? Oh, wait, that was me. Oh, yeah, I was dreaming I was a dog. Oh, so that was that. Was there a full moon? No, no full moon, and luckily nobody around. Well, I was going to the acupuncturist one in the corner with a stick ready to. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I heard about you, bastards. Yeah, no, no, luckily you, it was. You uh, get out! No more, no more needle for you! You crazy and dangerous! Yeah, I was. It was, but I was laughing my ass off by myself <laughs> in the room, just thinking, what if somebody had been here and suddenly they hear me barking and growling? That would have been. I've never had any acupuncture, but I have had a real live massage, which, like, first thing, that man touched me like that. Yes, sir, I will. All right. Go right ahead, friend. Yeah. And uh, I did. I, I was in that sort of like you know, and he says, "Oh my God!" And he popped something up in my upper back, and drool poured out. And I was like, <laughs> "This is disgusting!" But I am immobilized. You know, it's just like some tense creak had been released after who knows ten years of just sitting up in your shoulder. No, of course. Oh my God. On that note, I find it so weird how there are so many men who would never get a massage from another man. Come on. It's like how you want homophobic. Little weak woman hands? You want someone that's going to get this shit worked out? How homophobic do you have to be? You know, it's that's weird. It. It's a massage. You're not having sex with the dude. It's a massage. I got a massage from a 90 year old or from. Doesn't matter. It's, no. it's human. It's like getting a hug from somebody, except it feels better. It's. Uh... I don't know, it's a strange set of, set of rules we've built for ourselves, and it's all rickety, and it's all collapsing. Strange. I think if people just fell asleep and barked like dogs, everything would be better. Or at least drool a little bit. Definitely. All right, I see you have your, you have your, you have your heat-resistant gloves on, and you're reaching into the digital mailbag to pull out more queries from those who have questions. Who do we hear from this week, and where are they from? We start from, I don't know where he's from, somewhere in the U.S., but uh, he'll be, he mentioned how he was looking forward to the pronunciation of his name because it's of Italian origin, so there's even an odd chance that I may actually get it right, since awesome. that is my language. Mr. Joe Scigliitano. That's a hard sound, by the way, that non-Italians can pull off. The G-L-I, it's L, which yeah. is, yeah, is Scigliitano. Complicated. That's well, like that's like rolling those R's in, in, yeah. in Spanish. Unless you've grown up there, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so. you try to fake it. I love when they do the news, and it's like, today in the news, Linda Alvarez, and she pops yeah. in just for a millisecond. Come on. I know. I know, I know, I know. Are you Via Ragosa? What's going on here? But Mr. Scillitano asks us, um, in regards, he just had a baby uh, weeks ago, so he's wondering about 
Will advice. I ever sleep again? Yeah, there's that exactly, which I think is phrased differently, but that's the real meaning. It's regarding answers. Uh, no, thank you. Next question: <laughs> being able to have uh, quote unquote spiritual practice in the midst of parenting a child, and he say, you know, for the long time he has been doing meditation and yoga and things that he greatly enjoyed doing, but clearly, you know, since now you have a kid free time is about non-existent it's very difficult to make the time to do some of the stuff that would help him center and balance and all of that so he said you know a bunch of people say parenting itself become a spiritual practice which does make sense um at the same time sometimes it's a lot easier said than done because there's that element of when you wanna you know when you start understanding why people shake babies which will happen at some point as you go with no sleep and no you know, seeing great spiritual potential in those moments may be problematic, <laughs> so I can feel the man's pain there. And he say, you know, I'm dealing with my own impatience, frustration, anger, exhaustion as a new parent, which is not exactly the image of the peaceful center state you cultivate through yoga and meditation and all of that. So the question boils down to, is it possible to maintain this perspective without a formal practice to supplement it? You know, is it possible to just be in the middle of parenting and focus purely on that without doing something else? My thing on that is, if you do find the time, yeah, do it. If you don't find the time, it's more likely you won't. Doing micro practices that are something separate from changing diapers and doing all that that are just you time but like three minutes you time five minutes you time where suddenly change diaper do this feed the bottle do this do that other thing okay watch the baby for five minutes flat okay count go and i just sit down close my eyes okay back now we're on it's not it's not like you're really meditating. It's not like you're really doing yoga. It's not like you're really doing any of the things that you are doing as a practice, but you get that temporary sanity break where suddenly you have a three-minute recentering. That reset. It's like pushing the button, and then you have another hour in you to take care of business without going insane. And then you do it again for 40 seconds, for three minutes, for something that just helps you to snap out of it for a second. And then, of course, if you can do being able to apply those moments as you are interacting with the screaming kid, that would be the ideal. But I understand that's black belt level. You know, you need to work your way up to that. It's kind of cruel how that works, too. That when you need that black belt skill, you ain't got shit. You don't yeah. even, even have a, a, a piece of string holding your drawers up, you know, much less a belt. Yeah. It's just terror and terror. <laughs> but don't you remember those moments, though, where... You're holding that tiny little brand new. I don't. I can't imagine that there's a meditative state that's any more bonding to the universe than that. No, no, there are the amazing moments where you just click in or just get lost in those eyes that are forever. I don't know. Like you said, he's weeks into this, so the switches haven't all flipped over yet. But and also, it's. Again, those are the awesome moments that give you some energy. But then, when you have to pay for that five-minute beautiful bonding moment with 72 straight hours in which you get four hours of sleep cumulative, then yes, you may not be able to say, oh, that sweet bonding moment was all worth it. You're correct. 
So yeah, finding survival, carving for yourself little survival moments, essential, absolutely. This goes even if you don't have kids, even if you just have a stressful job or you have whatever else, you know, stuff that makes you go, 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 go in a way that may be somewhat stimulating, but also really tough. If you can't find the real time for you, you don't have time to go for a big walk, you don't have time to have a workout, you don't have, but you have like 100 seconds, you know what I mean? Just something where you just go, okay, I'm out, okay, I'm back in, you know? Just doing that alone is better than doing nothing. Now, by the way, I'm saying that and I'm under the file preaching well and not necessarily practicing well, I don't always do that. And that's why I want to kill people sometimes. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> um, Lon, La, no, Lon Lomas. Um, this is less of a question as a more validation of a practice that he has. And one of the things he does is that he... Um, He'll engage in some kind of thing that some people will consider vices. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think he's a negative thing. Most of them is like he wants to take a hit of weed or <gasps> go have a beer or go party, whatever. And then he doesn't deny himself those things. But what he does is every time he does something that's more on the self-indulgent end, he'll do something that, you know, if he's going to go spend the night smoking weed, the next day he's going to work out like a madman. If he has beer, he's going to have a dinner of crazy good veggies. If he goes out partying, eh, then he'll make sure to make a point of being uh, helping someone the next day kind of thing. You know, just more as in not denying yourself, but putting after you have put energy into self-indulgence, then balance it out by putting energy into either being helpful to others or doing something totally purely healthy and uh, all of that. And I'm like... It's, it reeks of being a bit credit cardy, though. That, you, you know, he might want to think it go the other way. Build up three nice meals, a couple of good deeds. Oh, I see what you're So saying. now you can just tear into some debauchery. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you don't have the fucking bill. Waiting. Oh, fuck, now three salads and a goddamn... I have to do that now. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Build it the other way. Yeah, that, that way, when too. you're enjoying it, you just, woo, you know? I think that's it. No, totally. I think I work more like you do. I need to, I'll do the hard stuff first yes. to then enjoy the other part. But really, that's how you're built. If it works for you that doing, you need it now, self-indulgence, and then you'll happily do the thing, You are, that's totally fine. As long as you can pull it off without being like, man, I'm paying for yesterday's stuff. This sucks. Yeah, I'm, I'm with but, you. Though. I'd, I'd rather sort of feel like, you know, I, I just worked 15 days in a row. Yeah. It's okay to sit around the house and actually do nothing. Yeah, that feels mighty good. The worst thing in the world, which I've been guilty of so many times, is you dread to do something that needs to be done. And instead of just tackling it out of the way, know, getting it in, getting it done, and then enjoying your time because you're done, you spend hours or days just not really having fun because you're not having fun you have this thing over your head but not really addressing this thing either so you're just wasting time yeah they are not doing either and it's like if you have to do it fucking do it now and then you can relax and pat yourself on the back and life is so much easier i spent six months of my life early on when i worked in the news department mm -hmm. wasting my entire sunday dreading the fact that tomorrow was monday yeah 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Not good. And it took a while to wake up and go, well, if this is the issue, it's time to go. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter. You know, well, but that's where the insurance is and the job is. If you're that miserable that you're mm-hmm. wasting a day of your life, then you got to rethink it, even if it's going to be momentarily uncomfortable or maybe permanently uncomfortable. Right. It's still better than just burning time. Because I hear you, yeah, I can do that. I can talk myself out of doing something for hours and hours that if I just spent the 30 minutes and go out there and clean the dog shit out of the backyard, it's done. By the time you're done complaining about it, the whole job would be done. It's yeah. like what, all that energy that you have put in it that didn't really help you feel better. You didn't do something to relax. Even if you were trying to relax, there's this thing hanging over your head preventing you from really having a good time. Just tackle it now. Deal with no one needs to be done. And then you can relax and go, ah. I have a copy of um, The Art of the War of Art. Uh-huh. And supposedly it teaches you to address things like that. Blockages right. that you purposely set in front of yourself yeah. to keep you from achieving your goal. Press field, yes. Why are we that way? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he has an almost mystical view of it all, of some evil force that's out there to stop it's you the from demiurge. achieving your potential, right? Damn demiurge. I know. Freaking bastard. Um, somebody who's not a freaking bastard. Alex from Indianapolis. Um... He asked about midlife crisis, or rather, in, since he's 25, we're hoping it's not midlife crisis, it's more like a quarter of a life crisis. And um, he actually views it as um, a good thing. He, the, what I'm reading through the lines there is that to him is like having that moment where you are just itching to find something that's really you, find something that really excites you, find something that because wherever you're stuck in doesn't quite do it. Yeah, I completely agree with him. Like this whole negative stigma that's usually attached to even the term midlife crisis, or again, intercatesis, where it's not midlife at all, but having those moments where you're really questioning everything around you, your surroundings, your job, your relationship with friends, everything, because it feels like it may not be awful, but it's not quite delivering the life you want. Sounds like somebody needs some time on the squid boats. (laughs) And that stuff to me is as exciting as it gets. That's a great moment because you are clearly not fitting in in your current life. And so having that sense of dissatisfaction that's pushing you to be on the prowl and look for, am I going to reinvent everything around me in a way that's going to fit who I am? That's not a freaking crisis. That's the best thing ever. I love those feelings. I've had them several times in my life where I have no idea what's going to happen a month from now, but I know that is not going to be like the last month because I know something is about to happen. Not happen. It doesn't fall from the sky, but something is about to happen because I'm going to make it happen one way or another. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm going to be just biting into something juicy soon where life is going to be there and I'm going to find ways to... I'm super excited about those moments. I really love them where I have no... Even like moving to the US where I had no clue what life would be like the following week. And there's that sense of excitement of, let's go find out. Yeah. Let's go see what skin I'm going to be wearing soon. And I don't mean it in a literal serial killer kind of way. That'd be pretty nutty. Yeah, metaphorical approach. But 
you know I, so i love it i agree with him screw crisis i think if you don't have a quote-unquote crisis every so often it's either because you're a happy bodhisattva and everything is wonderful in your life or you should because that's the creative force that helps you switch things around in a way that's more comfortable and more appealing to who you are yeah the midlife crisis will involve a uh, a charger the Dodge Charger <laughs> or Camaro. Yeah, no, that's when it boils down to that, where it's like what people end up doing in those cases is they'll buy themselves something flashy and whatever. That's just sad because hasn't really altered shit. No, you're still a pathetic old creepy bastard. And now you just have a nice car. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, you missed the opportunity. The quote-unquote crisis was a huge opportunity and yeah. you just blew it. So, yes. Don't be worried, my friend. Go have crisis and be proud. Last, um, uh, Justin Khan. Justin, Justin, Justin. Let's see, double question from Justin. One is regarding Taoism. He said, I've heard people describe Taoism as a religion, but it seems to be more of a philosophy to me. Why is Taoism a religion? Um, basically, to me, is. Um, Taoism is many things at the same time. You know, if you take just the writings of Lao Tzu and Chan Tzu, many people will consider that a way of life more than a religion. Some people term it a philosophy. Then at the same time, there's also a whole set of animistic rituals and practices that have been attached to Taoist ideas. The same thing happened to Confucianism. You know, that's the religion of China since time immemorial is animistic shamanic practices that if they put on a certain face, they are called Taoism. If they put on a different face, they are religious Confucianism. They put on, they can influence Buddhism in practice in China. It's the same thing. It just takes different shapes. So probably what happened is people who were digging Taoist philosophies, they brought that back into their religious life and created religious Taoism. So Taoism as a religion comes long after Taoism as in the books, the Tao Te Ching and Chuan Tzu and all of that stuff. So there's kind of a reverse relation. You know, Lao Tzu or Chuan Tzu don't speak of a god or gods per se. They speak of an energy. It's about, it really is a way of life. It's, uh, you want to call it religious, you want to call it... That really depends on what dictionary you're using for what's a religion and what's a philosophy. But in the stricter sense of religion, yeah, there is a Taoist religion that is sometimes separate from the purely philosophical aspect. Sometimes people make it go hand in hand. Sometimes the people who are into the religion know next to nothing about the philosophy. They just say, you know... That's I, pretty crazy. They I, just like the, the pomp and circumstance. Or the, yeah, I do my ritual. If I pray to such and such Taoist gods, uh, they will take care of my sick goat. And so I'll be, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's many things. Taoism is not one thing. It's many different things that are sometimes look very different from each other. But that's just the nature of the game. You know, some people dig one, some people dig both. That's how it works. Now, question number two from Justin. Um, he has been thinking about getting into a boxing match for a few months. He's still pretty freaked out about sparring and definitely about fighting on stage. Um, on one end, he's scared of it. And there are all the practical, beside fear, there's all the practical aspects of it. You know, do I have the time to train hard enough over the next period? All the all logical reasons why saying no would be the smart choice. At the same time, there's that element of, I'm afraid that if I never do it, 
I would regret it when I'm older. I would always have that itch of what would have happened had I gone that route. And, uh, you know, the the fact that you even bring that up tells you that, yes, you will regret it when you're older. Yeah, That's he's already answered his own question. So, yes, precisely. So at that point, the fact that you think it's stressful, it's time-consuming, it's this and that, doesn't really matter because you are going to otherwise be carried out with you for a really, really long time. So, you know, you don't want to half-ass it, you know, you want to really train and prepare. And uh, But the main, the psychological aspect, the fear aspect is that you can't really be worried about outcome. Winning, losing, everybody wants to win, of course, but to a large degree, that's really not under your control. It depends on who stands in front of you. You know, if you have a boxing match against a one-legged blind kid, yeah, your odds are you're probably going to win, regardless of how much you have prepared. And if you do get beat, you will regret that. Yeah, most definitely. But also, <laughs> if you have a match against this, it's like you can prepare as well as you want, but that's half of the story. It's also what the other guy brings to the table. That's the other half. And so you can't really control the outcome. Only thing you can control is the spirit with which you're going to fight. The more you put the emphasis on outcome, the more you set yourself up to be tense, to be afraid, to be, I want things to work out that way, and what if they don't? And well, you don't control it, so you're gonna keep thinking that all the time and it's gonna freak you out. If on the other hand, you just focus on, I'm just gonna go in, fight like a god, and if that means get knocked out like a god, well, that's part of what fighting like a god entails. No attachment to result, only 110% energy into giving, fighting my heart out. Kind but of won't thing. he experience a lot of that in the training? I mean, is there that, when you're when you're rolling in a workout, mm -hmm. is there really that much difference between the actual, you know, you're the, all eyes are on you? Is that what the difference is? There are several aspects that make a difference. One is the all eyes are on you, that it's one thing when it's your three people in the gym who are barely caring and you're in going even in a hard sparring session. Right. When it's a bunch of people, nobody wants to be the one. Who, there's something almost genetic in humans, particularly human males, this idea that some other man can physically dominate you in front of people does not look fun. That's why I wear my ear on my necklace. You, you should, absolutely. And so there's, you can understand why, you know, there's an obvious logic why it is. So there's performance anxiety for which unfortunately you can't take Viagra in this case, it won't help you. <laughs> there's, uh, the, um, there's that fear of getting hurt. There's the fear, you know, there are a bunch of different things. That's why focusing on that aspect leads you nowhere. It's only going to stress you out for So worrying that my aneurysm is too close to my skull to take any blunt force impact is not the way to get ready for the <laughs> Probably for not. The match. But yeah, in that case, Fuck. maybe I would consider it's okay to regret it when you're older. <laughs> in that case, regrets sound very appealing. So that's the game for the digital mailbag. Zip. I love you, baby. As the moments tick by, as there's one thing I know for sure, raising daughters is hard. I had the confirmation yesterday. The, um, the confirmation of this truth that you just have expounded was uh, offered to me by... I go pick her up. Um, at school, I pick up Isabella. I'm like... 
she's telling me about how her day at school went and he's like ah, blah 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 suddenly the conversation takes an interesting turn when she say rowan which i assume must be a classmate of hers rowan is going to give me her ear for my birthday and i was like so, i'm sorry so you mean she's gonna give you her earring for your birthday you know she's gonna that's kind of sweet and like no 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 she's gonna give me her ear i'm like why pray tell does rowan have to go van gogh for you oh for no your you beat birthday? me to it damn <laughs> sorry it's okay <laughs> And uh, Isabella was like very matter of fact. She's like, well, she broke a promise to me. And so I told her to chop off her ear. And I'm like, and Rowan, how did she take that? She's like, well, she knows she broke the promise. So she said, okay, so she'll cut off her ear, put it in a box and bring it to my birthday. Yakuza style. Wow. So what did you do? Did you call Rowan's family immediately just in case? No. I mean, if I get an ear, I'll be. Oh, man. I find it, I don't know, I find... Uh, I wouldn't put anything past these children these days. It's a good uh, lesson in learning how to keep your promises. Yeah, or maybe yeah. she's a big uh, big Carantino fan and yeah. really, really like Reservoir Dogs a lot. You, yeah, exactly. You don't keep your promises, the year goes... What is it? The Yakuza, the whole tale about how if somebody fucks up and they don't do what they said they were going to do, they have to chop off a part of their pinky and hand it to the boss. It's not a bad idea. I feel, uh, yes, take your promises seriously. Start when you're four years old. That's important. Well, there be a lot of earless four-year-olds running around. Yeah, that may be. Learning process is a bit tough. But yeah, so maybe giving them two or three chances may not be bad. But, but yeah, I was like, okay, that was an interesting conversation. Where do you think that came from? I mean, the Van Gogh story is all I really come to. How, many more, how much more ear chopping have you heard about? I mean, I'm sure through history there have been horrible warlords that collected ears as well, necklaces and trophies, but... There is the odd chance that I may have some role into this because um, <laughs> this leads us into story number two where oh. uh, Isabella, a few days ago, she goes, um, I want to see the movie. And I'm like, yeah, that's nice. Okay, if you can help me here a little, which movie? And um, the one where they cut his father's head off and he wants revenge. And I was thinking, well, okay, that's interesting. But again, you may have to be a bit more specific than that because about half of the movies I have in my collection involve someone's head getting chopped off and somebody getting revenge. So let's go. After enough questioning and going back and forth, I figured out that what is wasn't there to watch was The Hobbit. There's that scene in The Hobbit where uh, the orc in the first one chop off the oh, head yeah, of yeah, the yeah. head dwarf, and I guess that, that got stuck in, and uh, then he wants revenge, and so there's, yeah, there you go. So not only did she sit through all three hours plus of the extended version of the film, because the theatrical release is for wimps, you have to do it the real way, she sat through the whole freaking thing. She didn't get scared at all. And the next day she wanted to watch it again. So great parental pride, but then I cannot exactly be all too surprised about or suggested that their little friends need to chop their ears off because they don't keep their promises. So yes, there is the odd chance that I may grow to regret this. So far, not yet, but... Well, you'll be hearing about... Rowan's family will come make contact if, uh, if this actually goes through. Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm pretty sure of that. That may be the case. But um, but yeah, The Hobbit out freak me out. There are some scenes in that movie that are really freaking scary. The orcs, 
Jesus. Terrifying. She didn't care. She was all fine with it. So I'll just pretend. Yeah. I was like, okay, that works. You know, that, uh, but she bowled yesterday. We were like, she was trying to catch something on Netflix and she decided, oh, let's try that. And it looked like a program about dinosaurs. I figured, okay, why not? You know, scientific. And then they show some dinosaur eating a baby dinosaur. She was not happy with that part. She you, you gotta be careful, man. Cried. Young Emily and I, once again, we're innocently watching. Look at the baby hippo. Yeah. Here's the baby hippo with Mama Hippo and happy, growing, happy little hippo. And then one day, the angry alpha male rolled by yeah. and chomped baby hippo just one good time. And the last shot is Athenborough describes innocently how difficult an evil life is as the dead baby hippo tumbles its way into the current <laughs> and the mother sulks away sadly into the muck and mire. I know. You, she's, oh. I mean, the Hobbit is K compared to that. I'm you know what I you. mean? It's like watching nature programs is the scariest thing ever. You <sighs> see the meanest, most messed up thing so and yes. that's what this world is set to yeah yeah i mean unfortunately that seems to be the dna of life yeah. but that's just how the game goes but yeah that is rough that's some <laughs> pretty rough business right there you better behave when we get the damn baby hippo video out again and we'll yeah. learn a lesson about life <laughs> exactly about children that don't behave yeah man but yeah it's it sucks because you want to show that nature is awesome in some way you want to show them but then at the same time every other nature movie is about something getting eaten and some cute little fuzzy thing turning bloody and mangled because something else drive their fangs into it there may be no better wake-up call for children than watching the baby baby turtles make that run that, oh, that, yeah. that reverse normandy charge into the water yeah while 10 million seagulls and every other kind of bird just chomping away. it's like a Wow, it's like watching people in the South at a breakfast bar at Shoney's, you know, <laughs> just plates 15 inches high of bacon. Just, yes, baby turtle, yeehaw! Yeah, no, that's exactly. People don't think they have it rough. Try that, you know, the second you're born, start running because a seagull is coming to eat you, and unless you hit the water first, you yeah. are... Yeah, that's messed up. And then there's a phalanx of uh, crazy fish with a lot of teeth that are like, I like turtles too, you know. Uh, uh, did you tell me the story about the people releasing the rat into the wild? No. Oh, that was the most horrible thing. Somebody told it to me. I found a house rat that they raised in a cage and they're going to release it to the wild? Yes. Oh, yeah, that guy's prepared for that. And there's a video of these two guys who go off and leave their pet rat into the wild saying, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to miss him, but it's good for him. Be <laughs> free. Him to the sewer where they he's going to be happy. They start turning around and they show the rat just going smelly and being all excited and all of that. And no sooner they have shut off the camera and they are turning around, there's this hawk fly by just swoops down rat is gone and the, these two guys look at each other with these faces like because uh, 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 their pet rat has lasted a whole 23 seconds into the well, wild that was probably pretty good i'm sure it was glorious 23 seconds but still <sighs> that was rough people are stupid as hell yeah i'm afraid that's the one thing isn't it a shame stupid isn't like gold because we got so much of it yeah you know, is there a way we can weave stupid into something useful? That would be... Because we got oceans of it in this country. That would... Well, I'm afraid that's a human thing, but yes. <sighs> the, well, I guess on a better note then, last Isabella story to take us away from bloodshed <laughs> and uh, stupidity. Yeah, promises, promises. Isabella was singing this song from Mulan 2, 
entitled I Wanna Be Like Other Girls. And then all of a sudden she stopped and looked really puzzled. And I'm like, what? She's like, I really like the song, but I don't like the meaning. And I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting four-year-old statement. <laughs> do explain. How do you like the song and not the meaning? She said, well, I don't really want to be like other girls. I want to be like me. And I was like, well, you win right there. I absolutely approve of such a, yeah, you got it. Keep that head on your shoulder and you're set. Yeah. So It's the greatest defense you can make for him. That was more parental pride right there. There you go. We get A plus for that one. The yeah. ear thing we may have to chat about. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that may be. But still, you know, you balance it out. That's just 500 average, man. That's Hall of Fame. Not bad. Yeah. There you have it, folks. Daughters are really hard to raise, but man, aren't they awesome. It's story time, everybody, brought to you by our awesome friends at Sure Design T-Shirts because wearing a Sure Design shirt makes your nipples so happy that you drop into this blissful sort of semi-haze of consciousness that makes you think everything is story time. You're going to have uh, Sure Design T-Shirts are made to worn by people who are going to live epic lives worth to be told and retold by future generations hence being the future story time of uh, okay i don't know where the hell i'm going with that but it was great i had a good idea i, I just it. fucked it up but the um, couple of stories for today the um, one we are alerted by this by mr chris styles formerly of daisy house who um give man he sent me this link is i found my new hero for the week well it's only my hero because the story ends up well otherwise he should be whipped in the public square but our new hero for the day is a 10 year old norwegian boy who uh, decided to steal his parents cars because he really wanted to see his grandparents who live 68 miles away so when his parents were not paying attention he promptly stole the car taking with him and that's the shadier part his 18-month-old sister, strapping her in and doing everything. They hop in a car, he got at the wheel, and again, this is only a good story because it ends well. Holy Otherwise, smokes. it would not be. <laughs> he gets at the wheel, he actually makes it for 10 miles driving before hitting major snowbanks in Norway, as you may imagine, so it forced him to veer off the road. When the police come to see what the hell is going on in this car, here is where the genius of this boy comes in. So far, it's just, you know, what are you doing, you crazy? That's like, yeah, he's at the mass, he put his sister at risk, he's crazy, right? But this is where the genius kicks in. When the police is there and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? What's that? He says, well, uh, what are you talking about? I am I'm not a kid. I'm an adult. I'm just a dwarf. And I forgot my driving license, you know? So telling the police that you're a dwarf who forgot his driving license when you're a 10 year old kid driving yes that turns your immense stupidity from your earlier action into pure genius from the later ones he could have pulled the some crazy masked man grab the car he should jump to the passenger seat kid and, and abandon the zero yeah, right oh thank god you're here yeah 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 that would also be but again, i give him credit though yes that was a nice one i'm a dwarf who forgot his driving yeah but license. dwarfs go to jail too i guess that's what the kid maybe he's thinking maybe he goes special dwarf jail or something yeah like maybe he didn't quite work his story is good enough but 
Okay, Stinky now little bastards. <laughs> think, what did the parents do? Can you imagine? I don't think they were happy. <sighs> but then again, where were you guys that the dude could take off and be gone for ten too. miles before her? I'm taking sissy out for a walk, mom. Okay. Yeah, it's like I will not notice that my ten year old and my eighteen months old are gone because what the hell were you doing? You know? They're probably trying to slide a quick one in. Probably, but for the they, first time in six they're trying to press their reset buttons <laughs> for thirty seven seconds. And it didn't quite work, which is the average. Well luckily it did work a little bit, that's why the kid didn't die when he got home. Right. At least they had, had a, you know their first good release. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the gnome's arm was broke because his poor souls. <laughs> They had 12 orgasms in 33 seconds. If you can squeeze it in, get it. Yeah, so that's a fact. I, I'm going to hope that's what they were doing, not down cooking meth downstairs. Yeah, that would have been bad. But <laughs> Now, a lovely, inspiring story, particularly after we went, like this was already a while, while back when we uh, added a tale of Mr. Liveritin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a few people emailed us alerting us saying, hey, if you talk about Liveritin Johnson, you have to talk about U Glass. And granted, the U Glass story is epic, and that's what we're going to do now. Not quite as epic because he's not going to eat his enemies as Liveritin Johnson would, and cannibalism always had an extra touch to any story. But um, when his parents named him Liveritin, did they know that he was sort of like on the hook for? <laughs> no, I think that became his nickname. Oh, I, I'm guessing oh, that he wasn't I exactly. That was his, like, I thought that was his when fine he was born, and he's like, "Hey, Liveritin, come on here." He's like, <laughs> "Yeah." Now, so Mr. Uglass, somewhat contemporary, like late, born in the late 1700s into the early 1800s. He was one of these uh, early adventurers in American history, trapper, frontier man, explorer, you name it. And at one point, he's part of this big expedition with a wuzu of the trapping world of the time from Jedediah Smith, Jim Bridger, some of the big uh, frontier names of those days. Beaverbell Thompson, Stinky Weasel Teats. <laughs> exactly. Those are the those are the names that you remember, by Absolutely. the way. Absolutely. Some of the best of the best. Yeah. And um, so he was part of this thing. They explore up and down. They get into a battle with the Harikara Indians. He got wounded. But that's even that's a side part of the story. It's not even the exciting stuff. What happens is at some point he's in roughly modern day South Dakota, North Dakota, somewhere around the border there. I forget exactly. I think it's South Dakota in 1823. And he's uh, scouting ahead compared to, you know, he's on his own as these other guys are back there. He's doing some scouting. And it turns out that he's a little too silent and he did not wear his bear bell as you are supposed to do when hiking in the woods. So he suddenly finds himself face to face with a mama grizzly bear with two cubs. And yeah, they are, he does not have a chance to go for his rifle because the bear is right there and just start picking him up and throwing him like a ragdoll left and right all over the place. So the only thing that he can get out is a knife. And yes, have fun uh, with your, uh, even a solid bowie knife or something still you, you, against a grizzly bear. Yeah, have a good time. <laughs> So they go he's got at four knives on each paw. Yeah, they go at it, right? And Glass stabbed the grizzly bear back and forth. The grizzly bear just rips into him. Like by the end of the battle, the grizzly bear is dead. That tells you something how freakishly tough this guy was. Wow. And Glass is pretty close to it himself, has been just shredded to pieces by the grizzly bear. Broke his leg. Uh, 
you can see cerebs, uh, you can, you know, pretty nasty stuff. That right? seems unsurvivable in, eight, in 1797. Yeah, 1822, but still unsurvivable nonetheless by then. And uh, the, um, his friends arrive onto the scene, they see what's going on. By the way, nobody say what happened to the poor two bear cubs. I feel for them and I cry Up little tears. Yeah, that's a terrible story. Well, see. Papa Hippo Bear will be by shortly exactly. to take care of that problem. Don't even worry about that. Exactly. Now, the um, glass companions take a look. I feel like this dude is done, right? He's dying. So they say, okay, we need to keep going. But they leave a couple of guys with him saying, stay with him do whatever you can for him and you know dig his grave and when it's time it's time right this guy one of the guys was jim bridger was this legendary explorer of the old west but he was only 19 years old and the other guy was uh, you know between the two of them they eventually they start digging the grave and they start they will later tell that a group of indians appear, appear on the horizon they got freaked out they took off because they figure by the time they rejoin the group, they say, yeah, Glass died. Uh, we had to leave him behind. So now we took his gun, his knife, all the other equipment, and we just took off. But yeah, he's buried. It's all good. You know, we took care of it. And except that he wasn't dead and that he comes back from this unconscious, grizzly bear-induced brand of unconsciousness. And he realized that he's by himself that he has no weapons because they took them all he has no equipment of any kind his leg is broken he's ripped to pieces in uh, so and incidentally the closest the closest spot that he can try to reach where quote unquote civilizations is where he can get some help is about 200 miles away huh so you can always crawl yourself to Fort Hellhole on the Montana border, son. Exactly. It may take you only six months or so. You'll be Holy all right. Shit. So he wakes up to this um, pleasant situation, and at that point, he starts one of the most mm, famous epic journeys in Western history. As crawling, doing his thing, he just makes his way trying to figure out well there's really no getting out so either i bang my head against that tree right now and finish it or yep start putting one foot in front of another and start walking <sighs> because in the meantime all his wounds are otherwise are getting infected and all of that what do you have to do to make everything more fun let's lay down on a rotting log so that maggots can eat the dead flesh in the meantime that's probably what saved him yeah no it's a good idea but again gross oh, and yeah. weird it's like what am i gonna do to feel better let's have a bunch of maggots eat into my body you know it sounds weird but when they get deep oh. <laughs> that's one of them drool moments as well man yes. oh maggots are awesome in my spine thank god oh and by the way if this is the story that you are telling your kids to make them fall asleep i'm guessing that by now things are going really well and they'll sleep ears laying everywhere yes so takes him six weeks to get to this main river the Cheyenne River in the area he eats just berries and roots and stuff like that you know he's uh, having a somewhat of a rough time and eventually after weeks and weeks he does make it back to um, American settlement regains his strength 
he decides that I need to find those two bastards who left me behind. So he does find Bridger. So he was aware of this. He wasn't just... No, he's like, these sons of bitches abandoned me. When, uh, and they figure I'm dead anyway, and they made a mistake. So he finds Bridger. He's about to put an end to his exploring career, but he decides, he's a 19-year-old kid, whatever, fine, I'll let you live. And the other dude, in the meantime, has um, enlisted in the army and is tend to be frowned upon to kill a soldier so he figured oh. so he ended up forgiving them which is what makes the story again had he eaten them liver eating johnson style the story would have been at the top of our list this way is only it's a good story but not quite and eventually glass will spend another 10 years exploring doing his trapping thing until he gets killed by harikara indians during uh, one occasion so you know what the grizzly bear couldn't do the a solid pissed off tribe will achieve but um yeah man so when you think your life is hard picture instead waking up with no weapons no equipment a broken leg your ribs exposed abandoned 200 miles away from the closest spot where you can find any safety or reliable food and no decent foot powder none whatsoever so yes rethink your life you don't have it so bad that's story time everybody sweet dreams yes Well, the funky, groovy music means, why, wow, does time fly? It's the end of the show. It is indeed. A uh, few quick things. Before I start screwing up everybody's name with donations, our Amazon link, please use it. That would be very sweet. A lot of you guys do use it, and I really, really thank you for that. It helps a bunch. You know, I'm just learning, and, and this let me educate you all. If you have a big stack of goodies in your cart... I don't think that makes it into the Amazon link. No, so it doesn't. They have click fresh, click new, write down what you want, and then order them at that moment. And I think that works a little better. Yeah, there's this perverted Amazon rule that if you already have stuff in your cart and you log in at that moment and you just order from your cart, they don't give us credit. It has to be stuff that you search for, find, and buy right then and there. So yeah, they have ways to. I'm sure there are a few, some of you guys who are buying stuff and we don't get credit for. That's I guess part of the game and the complication of it all. But yes, if you guys can do that, it's beautiful because you are not spending one extra cent for stuff that you wouldn't buy otherwise, and you're supporting the podcast. So that's as good as it gets. Yeah. Uh, iTunes reviews. Many of you guys have jumped on board and started adding reviews. We thank you super, super deeply for it. it. Makes your head swell a little bit, doesn't it? Yes. When we are having a really bad day, we read them to feel better about ourselves. So you are accomplishing the mission of boosting our egos and keeping us happy. So we thank you for that. Uh, we mentioned our affiliates, Coracao Chocolate and Audible.com. So if you want to buy fancy, even healthy chocolate, and uh, or you want to give a try to audiobooks check out the links in the episode notes both of them are there and uh, we appreciate if that's something you're in the market for 
Um, what else? What else? The Taoist lecture series is almost here. I'm about to finish with perfect stupid timing. I'm gonna have the Taoist lecture series and the t-shirts basically around the same time, which is yeah, that's when you wanna throw a million things at once at people. But maybe it'll be a package deal. Yeah, that could be. We'll do something. So we are going to have the Taoist lecture series very very soon. So my guess is that by the next episode we'll have more details on how you can get it. Um, it's coming up. It's probably going to be something in the neighborhood of seven hours of material. I recorded almost all lectures. I have to write. I record the last one, edit a little bit, do a couple of things, and we are ready to roll. So those of you guys who have been looking forward to it, it's almost here. And, uh, uh, well, thank you to Daisy House for the always amazing soundtrack. And I am guessing we are reaching the time of screwing up people's names. So, without further ado, many of you guys have actually heeded Rich's call uh, for donations last time. Um, we'll have Rich give the pitch every time because apparently you listen to him a lot. Maybe you listen to him more than you listen to me just because no one understands what I'm saying anyway. So you just hear some dude screaming in wannabe Italian, blah, 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 and you don't know they were actually asking for. You're putting a lot of pressure on me. Just be gentle now. No, but uh, so let me go to the list of the gentle souls that have supported the podcast lately. Let the pottering begin. Ivan Bodnar from Argentina. Nice. nice. Daniel Greenuk. Frederico Faro from Brazil, repeated donor, yes, absolutely. Brandon Ortel, Armando Andrade, Sean Priu, Dmitri Danewitz. I'm sorry, I'm taking a guess, I have no idea. From Germany, cool. I think you're our very first German donor, Dmitri. Uh, then we have Nancy Ferrer, a whole series from Australia, from Australia, we got Jesse Blackford, Andrew Jensen, Piotr Gr- Oh, fuck, man, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Piotr, their last name. Anything that starts with G-R-Z, three consonants in a row, um, I suck at it, sorry, man. So I'll take, let's go for it. Piotr Grzelak. That's not bad. Sorry. Chris Palacios, uh, Michael Wigginton, Kane Gomez, Desmond Colton. Desmond is officially the very first person in Drunken Taoist history to set up a monthly deposit. Wow. He did a donation where he said every month at such such date, the donation automatically will go out to PayPal. How freaking cool is that? Wow. That's just sweet. So thank you very thank much. You Desmond. Chuck Bock, Joseph Edwards, Spencer Hannam, Miguel Lazala, David Sustaita, Sue. Hawk? No, that's not Hawk. Sorry. H-O-C-H. Yeah, I have no idea. So, <laughs> something. Thank you, Sue. Ryan Terwilliger. I uh, believe repeat there. Paul Caswell from the UK. Mark Robinson. Mark is the just donated like minutes before we started recording. I try to email you back with note of thanks and I usually, you know, I always send a PDF of quotes and stuff but your email keep for whatever reason it keeps jumping back at me so write me again if you want i'll send you the pdf uh, that we always give but um yeah i tried twice and it kept bouncing back at me so sorry mark about that but not sorry for all of you guys were so sweet and amazing we really 
really the whole point of doing this is getting the feedback that so many of you guys are giving us that you are happy with it that it's working for you that's the whole point if you are mostly happy with us but you have anything you you like us to tweak maybe we can throw it out there maybe we can maybe we can't but we definitely like to hear it regardless and if we can play with you in a way to make you happier hey that's what we're here for and don't forget if you're willing to give skank of america that two dollars to get twenty dollars out of a foreign atm machine feel free to once twice a year to drop two bucks our way um we do do it because we think it helps folks but bandwidth ain't free unfortunately and there are some costs that surround this and you know how else is Bentley going to get his Bentley? You know, let's exactly. be serious about this. That's the way. Uh, another quick, amazing update. Kiva is like 5125 in loans from y'all. Nice. And that is just outstanding. So, you know, let's push. Let's get to that 10000 this year. And then we'll let the Kiva people know that there are folks out here that do care about more than just themselves. Beautiful. I love it. On that note, I would say you wonderful humans have a beautiful day. So ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Duncan showed you the way, yeah? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people. Do that instead. (laughs) (laughs) This was great. Fucking awesome. Get back to work.